Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. The theme for Season 3 is better. Better everything, from AI to being fairer, big ideas to body language, if it's important to being a fairer person, business or planet, an expert and I talked about it. What follows is an edited recording, as Mouthwash is a live show created just for Twitter spaces, so the quality is more conference call than podcast sound booth. Sponsors are really important to me, so please take a moment to visit Ecology. They planted a tree in the TBD forest for every live listener we had. And if you want to offset your carbon footprint, you can do that easily. Just nip to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference and sign up. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com forward slash TBD conference. Also, I was honoured to partner with and test out Spaces Dashboard, the helpful tool that's making it super easy to find great audio on Twitter. Check them out on Twitter at Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and mount from Mouthwash for a surprise. Mouthwash is the audio show of TBD, the conference that people call TED without the bullshit. It's going hybrid March 31st, 2022. So get your tickets for the in-person event or the global live stream at universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Use the code Mouthwash. You'll even get 25% off every ticket you buy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Sign up to the newsletter on my Twitter profile. That's Paul underscore underscore Armstrong. And you'll get informed about all future seasons of Mouthwash. Trust me, you'll want to hear what we have coming up. Finally, as with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. The conference attendees say that it's like TED, but without the BS. It's a strange time around the world. Zoom fatigue and climate change, the great resignation to the metaverse. A lot seems scary, unfamiliar, and people are rethinking everything from core beliefs to the way they work. A core theme seems to be emerging, a desire to improve and make things, including themselves, better. So that's the theme for season three, better, better everything from AI to PR, body language to open innovation. I'll be speaking to massive brains and execs from the likes of Walmart to TikTok about everything you and the world you live in, make sure it's a better place. Season three includes New York Times bestselling authors like Duff McDonald to security experts, speech coaches and Silicon Valley startups who want to reverse your aging process. It's going to be a great season. Make sure you get the SMS reminders so you don't miss a minute of it. Okay, let's get cracking. The smart cookie who I'll be speaking to today is body language expert Martin Brooks. Uh, He's an expert coach. Uh, He's also author of Body Language Detector Deck that's soon to be coming out. Uh, Welcome to the show, Martin. How are you doing? I'm doing extremely well, and I, I like being called a clever cookie. That's good. That's a new one. Excellent. Oh, well, there's more to come. I'm sure there's more to come. Um, right. Before I chat a bit more with Martin, let's talk about where we are and how you can get involved. Um, Twitter Spaces is still a beta product from Twitter, um, so we need to explore it a bit for the people who haven't done it before. Um, the top bit's called a nest. That's where you can see all of the uh, little rectangles that I'm uh, putting up at the moment and that sort of stuff. Uh, that's where I or any speaker can put tweets like the ones you can see up there. Um, we use this area for a section we call Mouth um, Desert Island Tweets, um, and it's where guests can talk about tweets that have changed their life, they're thinking in some way, and you can click through, follow accounts, and that sort of stuff. It's a pretty handy feature, very unique to um, Twitter Spaces, but people are desperately trying to copy it. Um, you can see all of your faces and the speakers. They're at the top, okay? Spaker, uh, spaces allow up to 12 speakers at a time, including you and a co-host, so you can really have a really good chat with multiple voices. If you want to request the mic in any space you're in, just simply click 
click on the microphone in the bottom left hand corner but mouthwash is a bit more of a show format so we actually take questions via the hashtag um, mouthwash show all on word click on it in the title to save your fingers some tapping twitter's also recently introduced a slew of monetization features so you know that they're really getting serious about spaces if you look at the top right of your phone screens, you should see some icons, some dots, people, a heart, and that sort of stuff. The dots are where the accessibility settings are. So if you need captions, head there, and you'll hear uh, what Martin and I are saying in real time. Uh, sorry, you'll read what we're saying. Um, right, one thing that's really important when you're in any space is to share it out, okay? That's the, that's the way that people find it. There's also other mechanics and that sort of thing, but the best way is obviously putting it on timelines and that sort of thing. So simply click on the tweet. I just put in the nest, uh, so the one that says going live and that sort of thing. If you click on it and then just hit retweet, that would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, not just only because it's getting more people in the space, um, which is a nice thing for my ego, but also um, you'll be doing some good in the world because every person you entice into the space means the tree gets planted, courtesy of the very nice people over at Ecology. TBD has now planted over 10,000 trees, and when you sign up to Ecology, you can either grow your own forest or contribute to ours. Either way, you'll reduce your uh, carbon footprint through verified gold standard climate solutions. So everything that's going on at the moment, absolutely needed. Um, you track your impact, set low carbon goals, watch your forest grow and that sort of thing. Joining um, Ecology is super easy. Um, just head over to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com forward slash TBD conference. Very, very simple. Um, Reducing the world's emissions by 2040 through collective action, I think, is one of the most important things um, my generation certainly can uh, add to it. So I would love for you to help me do that. Please do share the space. Um, we are also proudly sponsored by Spaces Dashboard, who provide a new, fast and easy way to see all of the latest live and upcoming and past conversations on Twitter Spaces. If you want to try it out for yourself, simply follow them on Twitter. It's Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and you can get yourself an invite before everyone and their mother gets one. All right, that's enough plugging. Uh, on to showering Martin with an absurd amount of emojis. So if you look at the bottom, you should see um, the heart with a plus by it. That's where you can uh, register all of the emojis that you'll ever want in any spaces. Um, so click the heart, began tapping furiously, do multiples of them, and I'll tell you more about Martin. And please don't stop until I stop. All right, if you're ready, set, go. Martin is a world-renowned body language expert, author, and coach. He's all about impact and effectiveness, which is probably why top execs from IBM to TED speakers use his services. Most of his work currently over Zoom, we'll get to that later. Martin's firm is about to celebrate its 20th year in business, which I think deserves a round of applause. Uh, execs uh, trust Martin with their credibility and charisma. Um, throw a dart at a map and Martin's probably likely trained there or taught there. Frequently on everything to the BBC to Discovery Channel, Martin's analysed top execs, including Facebook, or we should probably call them Meta now, uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, which I'm sure was nothing short of a thrill ride for Martin. Martin, <laughs> is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Um, talking to a body language expert over audio might be asking for trouble, but let's crack on. Are you ready? Absolutely. Excellent, excellent. All right. Um, tell me, I always ask the first question, what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? Oh, gosh, goodness. Uh, uh, what was the first thing I thought? I Actually, yeah, my first thought this morning was, oh, I should have set the heating to come on, I have to say, <laughs> when I first stuck my nose out. It is getting that way, isn't it? That way. It's um, it's incredibly light now. It's very, very bizarre. It used to be really dark, but yeah, I don't know. I've got to, I've got to get that sorted. Um, Oh, 
God, it's such a... T- I, I think we are going to struggle, so we have to just keep each other honest and, like, say, let's make sure that we're getting people to understand that and that sort of thing. Um, let's start with how the last 24 months has been for you. When I first started doing mouthwash during the pandemic, I said six months, then it was 12, then it was 18, and now it's 24 months. So um, h- how's it been for you? Yeah, no, it has been incredibly challenging, despite the fact that I had started doing a lot of online coaching in 2017. I started doing it then. Uh, the point where the pandemic hit, my diary was full of face-to-face work. And there was a 10-day period at the start of the pandemic where I saw my entire diary for the upcoming eight months just wiped out. And it was an incredible period where the, the world the world changed and nobody was ready for it. Uh, certainly, I, I wasn't ready for it. And it, it, it has been a real roller coaster, but also a time of complete reinvention. So I've, I've, re, I've, I've written Body Language Decoder. That's just come out. You mentioned that. I've re- written and recorded an entire online body language masterclass, which is 101 video tips on how to be able to communicate with more confidence, charisma, and credibility. So it's like, you know, necessity is the mother of, mother of invention and and certainly that it has been that's been a lot of hard work it's been very tough but i feel that now that my business he said thankfully you know i said i've been in business 20 years but it has been reinvented over the last two years to be better positioned for the world that we now live in so it's been a it has been a roller coaster but good stuff's come out of it Good. Okay. I want to talk about both of those products separately, but um, let, let's stay in here and now. Um, it's 2021. There's a pandemic raging. Um, we're all working from home or hybrid working um, while trying to get back to sort of quote unquote normal. Um, but we're still in or increasingly in a weird gray area. How important is body language or I'll, I'll probably use different terms, nonverbal communication in our everyday lives in 2021? Has it become more important or do you think it's become, you know, just it's, it's as important as it ever was? I actually think body language is more important now than it was when we were doing face-to-face communication. And let me tell you why. Because we, when we're communicating virtually over, over Zoom or, or like we're doing now without those, those visuals, there is that tendency for our brain to think, well, I'm not actually talking to real people. So a lot of our gesticulation, a lot of our focus starts to wane. And I actually had a, a colleague of mine say to me a few weeks ago, well, gosh, it must be a really rough time because body language is no longer relevant. And I had to go away and think about it in terms of how responding to that. And I came back to some key things. And, and certainly the old idea, this is not new, of smile when you dial. You know, that, that idea of utilizing your body language to sound better on the phone is not a new idea. And I was looking at the... A video on YouTube a while ago of the Aladdin 1990, uh, 1990s movie with Robin Williams playing the genie, and there's a wonderful video on on YouTube where you can see all the actors doing their voicing bits. And of course, Robin Williams he's not sitting on his stool doing his 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 voiceover. He's standing up. He's gesticulating wildly. He's throwing his arms back as he laughs. He throws his head back. You know. <laughs> You know, all the things that I'm doing now because motion drives emotion. Motion drives emotion. How you use your body impacts the qualities of your voice. 
So even if people can't see you, your body language is influencing your vocal tones and how you sound to the people on the other side. Now, if your camera is on, of course, then your visuals become visually available. It's not just the, the sound of your voice. But what's interesting, again, is the, the idea of things have been evolving with, with certainly that virtual communication and Zoom and the, the trend for camera off. So if you're a speaker, you're, you're contributing to a meeting and you're looking at a screen of black triangles, or black, sorry, black rectangles, because everybody's got their, their cameras off. And it does feel like you're talking to yourself. And it does feel like because you can't see people, they can't see you. So I, I equate this to like, uh, I grew up and learned how to drive on the left-hand side of the road. But if I go to the continent or if I go to the States, I have to force myself to do the same thing, but with a different focus. And it's a little bit like that. When you can't see people, uh, or you have to be and think like, it's like driving on the right. You have to gesticulate in a way that really gets across your, your message because it'll influence your voice and how others hear you. And the communication expert, Nancy Duarte, recently talked about this idea of performance effort. You have to make that effort to not only sound good, but also when you do gesticulate, and I was running a session for some senior executives today, I could see the executives gesticulating, but their hands were out of shot. So we actually have to then, again, it's like driving on the right, have to make the conscious effort to lift our hands up so they're visually available, but also be sitting far enough back from the camera so that it's not really in your face. So there's a lot of different tweaks about where we are now in order to be as, if not more, effective. So the answer to your question then come back to, for all those reasons, I think body language is even more important. And you can tell there's a good measure of when People aren't using it. And that's when you get, as you said in your introduction, Zoom fatigue. And Zoom fatigue, I think, is a direct result of people having to work harder to stay engaged with less engaging communication because people aren't putting in that performative effort in order to be as engaging in these virtual platforms. So I think it's even more important. Definitely. I, 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 I agree. I, I definitely have Zoom fatigue myself and I, I start, start with clients as from and let's just do a call. Um, I want to talk more about Zoom specifically because I think everyone's, you know, need, needs help with it and that thing. But considering, you know, it's so important, why do you think it's not taught more in schools and businesses? <laughs> well, actually, the, the opening line of, of, of something I wrote earlier was at a school I was taught the French language and the English language and not body language. And I would argue that it's every bit as valuable as learning a language because it is like a, a parallel language with what you actually say. So the, the words can be saying one thing, but the body language can be saying something else. If you just, for example, if you just, uh, you think about body language, think about, you, you said nonverbal, the way things are said. If you look on a page and you see the word, the two words, yeah, right that would say, well, that sounds positive, doesn't it? But if you hear it where somebody's saying, yeah, right, and they've got a disdainful look on their face, then the actual meaning from the tone and the body language is completely different from the words. So we should be taught this stuff. There's an over-reliance on the, the illusion of communication, that because it's clear what I think and I feel and what I want to express in my head, and it makes sense to me, therefore it will make sense to other people. And there's a... a 
well, do I want to say laziness? But there's a lack of awareness of that because it makes sense to you doesn't mean to say it makes sense to other people. And we have to put the effort in to get that meaning across and not just the words. Is there um, a difference between male and female body language or different gendered body language? I, I don't tend to focus on that. I think you see you see some gender stereotypes in terms of how people behave. And interestingly, there's a fantastic uh, speaker by the name of Amy Cuddy, who did uh, one of the top TED Talks on, on body language and the link to body language and uh, on confidence and how people feel. Now, what was really interesting to me about that was the backstory and the backstory of of how when she was lecturing, a part of the part of the mark that people would get would be on their contribution in class. And she saw a difference there between the male and female uh, attendees of the lectures, that men were more likely to stick their hand up and get involved, that testosterone fueled, not necessarily intelligence-fueled intelligence uh, belief in self, whereas women, as a generalization, her research showed they were less likely to stick their hand up and get involved and speak out loud. And I think that goes along with also in terms of some of the gestures that that that, that follows through in terms that men will make. They'll tend to do more confidence gestures and over-assertion gestures where, where women's mindset will tend to be a little bit less than that. And that's what Amy was focusing on and said, look, you know, if we and you get authors like Sheryl Sandberg, you know, the lean in, that idea of, listen, let's forget the gender um, stereotypes, let's forget the, gen the gender leanings. Here's how we as human beings need to behave with each other in order to make that impact, in order to get listened to, and in order to for further our own individual or organisational goals. Is it the same with age? Does body language change um, as we get older? I think, for, well, certainly in my experience, I think there's a there's a change in terms of body language in terms that comes with, with experience and co that experience and that confidence. I think we get a lot of people get much more comfortable in their own skin as they get older. And that I think that then comes through in how they express themselves. Remember, body language is the end of a process and the start of that process is that self-belief and that confidence. And when that's there, age then it comes with confidence you know you've been around the block a few times you know what you're talking about you feel comfortable therefore you will gesticulate and behave and stand and make eye contact much more confidently not necessarily because of age but because of the experience and certainly the i can speak for this at the age of 53 you know the scar tissue that comes from having been around the block and done things and learned learned those lessons and then i think that expresses itself in people's body language but it's not necessarily an age thing. For me, it's more an experience thing. Um, that leads me nicely on to um, body language in the world of work. Um, mm. Let's get specific. What should people be aware of about nonverbal communication when in the workplace right now? So like a physical workplace, not necessarily hybrid. We'll come, we'll come on to that. Yeah, I think in a physical workplace, you've got those truths that you're you're always on. You're always on. I had a manager once say to me, oh, I, 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 I know you. And I said, well, I'm not sure we've met. And uh, she said to me, no, I've seen the way you walk around the building. And you just 
you walk in a way you own your space. You've got that air of confidence about you. And it was a really interesting piece of feedback. I think I was only about 24 or 25 at the time. And it was as much it was, it was much more by accident than it was by design. And that was because my father, I was, I was very tall when I was young. I, I grew uh, 12 inches, 30 centimeters in three years flat. And I was a lot taller than a lot of my classmates and a lot of my peers. And my father drilled into me about not slouching, always standing up tall, always throw your shoulders back. And then that translated into some advice in my late teens and early 20s. I did a lot of, I did a lot of independent travel. Again, my father said, you know, the way to avoid trouble is always walk, and it's a great piece of advice, always walk like you know where you're going. So have your eyes pointing, you know, a, a horizontal with the ground, parallel with the ground, have your shoulders back, always walk with purpose, always walk like you know where you're going. And you look less like a victim, you're much less likely to get mugged. And there's actually, I've seen studies now that have actually confirmed that. And muggers will always will go to, they'll prey on somebody who looks weaker. So in the workplace, the way, just literally the way you walk around the office sends out a signal about about your confidence, about your credibility, about your experience. You know, so just literally, you're always on. People tend to think about, oh, right. So my body language is important when I stand up and do a presentation, or when I contrib- contribute to a roundtable meeting. And yes, of course, it's really important there. But it's it's a it's a constant. It's not just those moments in time. It's a constant. So we need to be aware of our shell, how we walk, how we look, how we interact with other people. A simple thing, I think it's even more important now in post-COVID times, the, the keeping a, a spatial distance, keeping out of people's bubbles so that we're not making them feel uncomfortable by imposing our our bodies into their spaces. Now, our, our personal bubbles might actually be bigger now post-COVID, I would imagine. Definitely something to be aware of. So your body, you're always on. And of course, and then high pressure moments when people are looking at you, like when you're contributing to a meeting in a group, one-to-one meeting, or standing up and doing a presentation to your colleagues, then it's a big part of how we're evaluated, whether we like it or not. So you're, you're always on is the key message. Okay, uh, let's talk about Zoom, the brilliance and the bane of modern life. Um, what are people getting wrong when using it at the moment? So one of the things I alluded to earlier is that they're still sitting, big mistake I see is people are still sitting too close to their camera. So there's too much of head in the in the actual view that you see. People have finally figured out that it needs to be on level with your eye contact. Nobody wants to be looking up your nose. Uh, you still see the occasion of that. Make sure you're well lit on the front. I still see people where they're silhouetted because they're sitting with a window behind them, and then we can't see any of the details of their feet, of their face. We can't see any of their facial features, which is disconcerting because we take a lot of meaning from that. So make sure you're well lit from the front. Make sure the camera is at eye level, and you're sitting far enough back from the camera so that your gesticulations aren't too disturbing. They aren't too close to the camera, therefore more distracting than they are adding to the actual, uh, the, the actual your overall presentation. And have camera on. Uh, I have to reel against this idea of having camera off. I think camera on helps both the speaker and helps you come across better because we are still, our primary sense is still sight. So when you can visually reinforce your, your confident message of a confident body language, then you're much more likely to get taken seriously and appear credible to others. I think that's an interesting point that you bring up because 
I've been in scenarios where it's been intense and people have, you know, said, why isn't your camera on and that sort of stuff, which usually equates to that there is not trust in that organisation between mm. either employees or as a general, or that there is an overbearing um, nature towards how people expect them to work in a virtual world and that sort of stuff. Any advice for when people, perhaps managers or perhaps managing up, um, can talk to each other or like what they should bring up if they feel uncomfortable with a camera being on? For me, it's one of those things about getting the balance right. Not every conversation needs to be a video-based conversation. We can still do phone calls. We can still do teleconferences. So I think the pressure can get taken off people by going, when is it really necessary or when does it really add to have the video element in there? We, we've become a little bit lazy, we've become a bit, you know, human beings are naturally habit form. It's like, well, let, well, let's have a Zoom. Let's have a Zoom call or some other methodology of, of, with that video element in it. And that's not always necessarily needed. So I think if the volume was reduced, then I think people would feel more comfortable doing it and having that camera on uh, with, where it's adding to the overall the overall thing rather than taking away so i think volume is certainly one thing i think the second thing then although this i feel that at this point in the pandemic this is less uh, less relevant but people who don't necessarily have a home office i mean i'm lucky i have i have a home office but but give, making people look if we can see your wardrobe in the background it's fine we don't mind. We appreciate that. We understand that you have to work in your bedroom or there might be a dog barking next door or your kids might wander in and what have you. So I think saying to people, that's okay. That's okay. And to take that pressure off people so they can concentrate on the conversation and not on the environmental concerns that they might have. So I think managers and leaders need to, need to set that stall out very clearly, reduce the volume, give people that comfort level and recognize the, the realities that not everybody would have the perfect space to work from, that have kids wandering in, their dogs barking or whatever it is. And that's fine, rather than having people worrying about that stuff. I think managers can put people at ease. Um, let's flip that on its head. Nerves can often fray on Zooms easily. Long meetings, people are bored, you know, that sort of thing. What gestures should people be looking out for in meetings? What's threatening? What's friendly? How, how can people tell? Well, I think the, the gestures that you find that in face-to-face -face communication, you still find a little bit on, on Zoom. And I think what's, what's interesting is, are they aggressive or are they, is there likely to be that interpretation of being aggressive? So I often talk about intention versus interpretation. What, what's your intention with how you move versus how people actually interpret that? And I think one of the most important things that we can all do is become much more aware of our, how our gestures may well be interpreted. So it's important and nobody likes doing it. We all hate seeing ourselves on camera, but record yourself, watch your own communication back and, and think, no, is, is there a possibility where this may well be interpreted as being more aggressive so the classic pointing gestures uh, glaring eye contact you know glaring at the camera and i think one of the other things that people forget uh is is that just because people aren't in the same room as them you know the old virtual hero type thing you know people throw their weight around a little bit more because you're not in the same uh, room as them then it's imp it's important just to have that level of control that level of awareness about 
how might this look and be much more aware of that. On the nervousness side, one of the things I think that's uh, it's important that is, is true in real life, you know, in, in real life conversations and in, in virtual ones is avoidance of eye contact, avoidance of looking at the camera. Uh, so whether it's eye contact person to person or whether it's over Zoom looking into the camera rather than, than looking away, those are some indicators of nervousness. And be aware that's always on bit. You know, people can see you uh, doing classic, uh, self-comfort gestures like rubbing the hands or stroking the beard or playing with your hair or the, the classic the ring reassurance where people play with their wedding ring when they feel that under a bit of pressure and getting a little bit of negativity from people that they're speaking to so being aware of those nervousness behaviors to make sure you're not projecting the wrong the wrong message and if you are a manager and you see people extending those nervousness behaviors will take responsibility how can you then put those people at ease what is it that you've said or done that has put somebody in a less resourceful state and we want peak performance from from people so and we know they won't peak perform if they're feeling a, a crisis of confidence or feeling nervous so if we see evidence of their nervousness which is one of the reasons why i put a whole section in the card deck on nervousness so we see those signals we don't just charge on regardless. We actually stop, take stock, and ask people how they're doing, what's going on, what, not why they're behaving that way, but what, you know, how they're feeling, how could you help them, how could you make them feel more at ease? Because that's when they'll peak perform when they're in a better state of mind. You mentioned the um, deck there. Tell us a bit more about that. I'm going to put an example up in the nest. Yeah. So I've created Body Language Decoder. And it's, uh, not, it's not a book on body language, it's actually a card deck. So there are 50 cards within the, within the deck, about the size of a normal playing card. And on one side, there's an illustration of body language, because body language is quite a visual thing. And on the other side, then, there's a description of that. There's 50 cards. And that's split into seven sections, seven different types of body language that it's interesting to be able to be much more aware of in terms of how we project and also reading it in other people. So one that always gets a lot of interest is, is deception. So deception tells. Uh, power plays, where people are overexerting themselves, you know, wanting to be the boss, and whether that's in a social situation or at work. A confidence gesture, it's really important. We all want to project ourselves confidently. How do confident people, what does that look like? And then for interviewing, for looking for confidence in people, expressing interest is a category which is useful to be able to read. Are people genuinely interested in what I'm saying? Should I be quiet now? Have, have I talked too long? You know, am I have the expressing interest signals stopped or am I not getting them at all? Do I need to stop talking and ask a question? Connection, useful for measuring how, how are we connected? Are we getting on? Is this working? Do I need to do something uh, different? Nervousness tells I talked about. Those are very useful in terms of not doing them yourself and noticing them in other people and then responding to them. And then conviction. If you're in a situation where you know, you've got a, a choice between who to work for or who to hire or who to, who to date, you know, who's, who's showing those higher levels of conviction? What are those conviction behaviors? So those are the 50 cards spread into those, those seven sections, all good starting building blocks, but for building our awareness of our, not only other people's body language, but also how we project ourselves. Tell us a bit about, um, what was it? Soft hand gestures, uh, softened fist gestures. And that yes. Sort of thing. 
Yeah, so it's often fist gestures. So if you shake a fist at somebody, that's a pretty aggressive gesture. And we'd, we'd, all, we'd all agree that. And if you loosen one fist from your, one finger from your fist and it's straight and you're pointing, you know, that's quite an aggressive gesture as well. So in my 20 years of studying the world's top speakers and politicians and, and leaders and TED talkers, you go, no, well, so how do they project themselves confidently? So the soft and fist gestures are all based around this idea of still getting across an assertive nature, a confident nature, but stopping short of being aggressive. So if you, if you, if you join me now and clenched your fist and then take your thumb and put it straight up in the air, then if you take your index finger, your top finger, and you uncurl it a little bit, and then drop your thumb. So your thumb, the tip of your thumb just nestles in the curve of your index finger. So that's a soft and fist gesture. This is known as the thumb of power. And this is something that Bill Clinton made famous. He very famously used this a lot. It's one of the first people I saw doing it a lot. And, he, and Barack Obama then followed him. Barack Obama did it 93 times in his inauguration speech. So that is a softened fist gestures that's that's known as a thumb of power another one is known as a th the pinch of salt again if you clench your fist then release your thumb on your forefinger but this time bring the tip of your thumb and the tip of your index finger together so your top finger and your thumb as if you're holding literally a little pinch of salt in between the tip of your finger of your thumb and the tip of your top finger that is known as the pinch of salt now again from the front what is available is the knuckles, but that, the, the fist is now soft, and that's known as the pinch of salt. And that became, as Obama's presidency then progressed, that became something that became his trademark hand gesture. And again, it says, I'm confident, I'm serious, take me seriously, I believe in what I'm saying. And it's a great way of punctuating what you're saying. If you hear the emphasis in my voice to punctuate a sentence, now, if you do that, that gesture, that bring that gesture down, that pinch of salt each time you want to emphasize a key word, then your body language and your voice and all come together. And it puts extra emphasis on words as well as looking more confident to your audience. So those are two of the soft and fist gestures that you, you see top politicians and speakers and leaders use constantly. Um, I really love the deck. I thought it was beautifully um, illustrated as well. You got a very um, who was it? It was um, Louis. Uh, Rachel Levitt Louis Louise. Louise, that's it. Yes, I, I was trying to um, find uh, somewhere online for how to say it and that sort of thing. But they really are um, amazing, um, amazingly useful, amazingly insightful. I liked all the examples that you put on them as well. Um, I didn't want to break copyright and put put many up, but I have um, added a, added a couple so you can um, see them on there and just zoom into the picture. Yeah. Um, Quick question regarding um, conviction. It's an area that I am increasingly interested in at the moment. We had Sam Conniff on recently who was talking about uncertainty. Um, people need to do more of what they say. It's easy to say, often hard to do. How do you know if someone has conviction around what they're saying to you? Well, for, for me, it's consistency. It's consistency. So you look at, so interesting, we've, we've got COP at the moment going on and You've got, uh, I saw an interview of Boris Johnson uh, with BBC journalists asking him, uh, asking him, you know, some, some relevant questions. And if you compare and contrast Boris Johnson's behaviour or very often any, most politicians' behaviour to when they're doing a prepared speech, when they're uninterrupted, 
versus how they answer questions. And it's the it's the parallels or the differences between those. Those who have got the most conviction, there'll be the smallest difference between their body language and their behavior between those two scenarios. Now, when, when you look at Boris Johnson's speech at COP, you know, he was doing all the right things. He was saying all the right things. But then you see him when he answers a question and a tough question, and you see completely different body language. So there's a, a mismatch then in terms of the prepared talking versus the interactive responding to things. So you don't, you tend not to see that, you see, tend to see that conviction body language when it's a prepared statement or even in the interview, uh, I, and I actually retweeted some some of the clips yesterday on, on his interview and drawing attention. So uh, do go back through my my feed and you'll see, you'll see the video and you'll see my comments on it. And his body language was very strong when he was on his talking points in the interview. Uh, when he wasn't answering the question or didn't have an answer to the question that the interviewer was putting to him, you saw completely different types of body language. So you didn't see the body language of conviction. In fact, you saw him rocking back and forth on, on his heels. You saw him do uh, a classic, what would be called a deception tell, so what we call a truth slip. So when he was asked about the coal, the, the interviewer asked him about the coal, he said no, but he nodded his head yes. So he said, "We no, we don't want to. No, I don't support it." But he nodded his head, "Yes." So there's an inconsistency there in his in his body language. And whilst we, interesting, you were asking me about nervousness, and I was talking about eye contact. When he was comfortable in his own talking points, he'd look straight at the interviewer. But Boris Johnson has always done this in all of his interviews. It's fascinating to see. Whenever he's put under a little bit of pressure, I can always tell where his handlers or his media team are when he gets asked a tough question because he looks off them and he stares at them when he's under pressure. So there's a, a complete difference between in conviction. It's a little bit like an interview. Like the CV looks great, but then you bring him in for an interview and you ask him questions. You want to see that same level of confidence and conviction and positivity in the interactive pieces you do written down, which is why we invite people for interviews to see if they can follow through in a convincing fashion in a live format versus something they've had time to sit down and write like a CV or a covering letter or for a politician, a prepared speech versus the actual questions that they answer. So for me, it's about how similar or different are though or is there is there a communication which is evident in their body language in those two scenarios you, you touched on a question that i got via dm as well um has anyone else been telling porkies at uh, cop 26 do you think <laughs> i think there's a, there's a well uh, there's a lot of a uh, pressure very often on me to go is this person lying and i, I my default answer is look there's only one person on the entire planet who knows whether that person is lying or not. And that's the person who's doing the communication. However, here are the, if, if you are a communicator and you want to be believed and you're leaking what are known as classic deception tells, I, 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 some of these are in uh, body language decoders, so the truth slips that I talked about, uh, one-sided shoulder shrug, duping delight. These, if you're doing those behaviors, then people are likely, very likely, to be questioning your believability, questioning your credibility, and questioning whether they should take you seriously in any way, shape, or form, which, again, is why it's important to know what these deception tells are, because sometimes people just do them without, when they're not lying, 
uh, without that awareness of what they're actually giving out. So I think we there's the old classic idea, how do you know if a politician is lying? You know, what's the classic tell? And they, they, the joke is, you know, their lips are moving. So I think we have to take any, everything that any politician says with a pinch of salt. And for me, it's always about how do they respond to questions rather than how do they perform in their prepared and planned speeches. God, I really hope we can get rid of that sentiment sometimes about their lips moving. I just want action from these people. But anyway, well, indeed. that's another indeed. show, I'm sure. Um, apart from the deck, you've got a teachable course coming up. Tell us about that. <clears throat> yeah, so I've got a course on teachable. Now, when I, the publisher uh, approached me to write Body Language Decoder, they, they wanted to make it very accessible. So much more general about body language. Now my, and, and I was happy to do that. My background uh, as a training and development consultant was helping executives communicate better. Always looking for, you mentioned, you know, having coached you know, TEDx speakers. I've coached five TEDx speakers. And those are those kind of people who speak for a living or as big part of their role or senior executives who've always got to convince and influence and motivate shareholders and stockholders or customers or their own teams. It's always about how can I do it better? And my thought then about, so why I want to take all the body language stuff, and this is one of the, the responses to COVID, go all the stuff I've been talking about for 20 years, I've never actually written it all down in one place. But I also understood that it's very difficult to get across body language in the written format. So I filmed 101 short video clips. They, they average 87 seconds on here's a body language behavior that you can do. So I've got 46 hand gestures, four ways of using your head, 13 ways of using your posture, 10 ways of using your face, and 28 behaviors to be aware of, things that can reduce your impact. So that is available, it's actually available now on Teachable, Body Language Communication Mastery. So how to you master your body language to be able to communicate with confidence, with charisma and with credibility so that you can be seen as that way. And that was something, a response that I had the time and the impetus and certainly the motivation then during COVID to take that time and invest and actually build that. All the stuff I've been talking about for the past 20 years, put it in a format that people can access it quickly and affordably online, study on their own leisure. And I wanted to make it in bite-sized pieces. That's why the, the video is average 87 seconds. So something you could watch two or three in a lunchtime and then go back to your back to your role. You could watch a couple, you know, on a train or a commute or just one or two you know, whilst you're eating your breakfast or whatever, sitting at your breakfast table. So that was something I really wanted to create and put it out there and really have that resource there because I didn't really see it anywhere else. And I really wanted to put everything that I'd spent 20 years gathering in one place and let's make, make it affordable for people to go. So it's available on Teachable. Okay, brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll give the uh, URL at the end. I want to um, end by talking a bit about the future. Um, what's changing post-pandemic? Um, is the handshake doomed? Are we now no longer sort of able to uh, gesticulate in people's faces? You know, what's okay? What's going to stay? What's going to be lost due to the pandemic? Yeah, that's a, re that's a really interesting question. That's a kind of a, a projection one. And the, the short answer is that, you know, the, I think the dust for, the, is still settling. 
I think the dust is still settling. And I, I saw a really interesting thing the other day about there was somebody on LinkedIn was talking about going to a conference and you had it was, a, it was a badge or the color of your lanyard or something like that. And it said, I'm comfortable shaking hands or I, I'd like you to keep your distance, etc." So I think like many things, it's what are the rules? How, how do we how do we go forward? And I think organizations, as more and more people come back into the office, there has to be that. Well, look, we're in a new environment now. What are the, what rules need to change? And in any scenario where there's uncertainty or there's a lack of consistency, that's where we can get ourselves into trouble. So I think that you know organizations and managers and leaders do need to think about this. People are very uncomfortable when we don't know what the rules are. So let's make the rules clear. Let's establish. How we how we interact, and whether you do that by coloured lanyards or whether you do that by you know getting people together and go look, you know, what are we comfortable with? What are we not comfortable with? You know, make make it simple. Is that is the handshake uh, doomed? I don't know because it's one of those things about physical contact, and where it's it's ingrained within us to require that. Not not to require that, but it's it, it's. We'd somehow feel us lacking in a relationship. We didn't make physical contact with somebody else and shake their hand. But it's too early to say whether it's completely doomed, whether it will come back. And I think a lot of that depends upon, you know, how the pandemic does pan out over the next, you know, three six months in terms of of where it goes. But I think what a message that I would say to leaders is clarity. People need clarity about. What are the, the ways that, that we are now behaving? Because when we're clear on the rules, we feel comfortable. When we're not clear on the rules, that's where people feel uncomfortable. And that's then where their performance will drop in the workplace because there's that feeling of uncertainty. So give them certainty, give them the rules, involve them in the design of those rules, as always, and then we can all move forward together. Oh, I love that. But I'm not going to let you get away with that um, at the end. Right, let's talk about... Um the virtual world, the much more sexy world, as I like to think about it. Um, mm. Microsoft's just announced that they're working on bringing 3D avatars and VR support to teams in the first half of 2022. Um, any thoughts on VR and the metaverse when it comes to body language? Do you think there's going to be new gestures and norms to navigate? Uh, is it time we set new standards like you just mentioned? Um, I think it's a pretty interesting area. And I think when it comes to people and the way they interact, nothing sacred or safe in the metaverse. You know, it's a, it's a brand <laughs> new world. But, but what are you thinking? Are you, are you worried? for your job or do you think it's just like oh millions more people to do oh well, well you know be, being 53 i think but by, by the by the time body language is completely obsolete it'll no longer be a problem for me <laughs> i think the tech yeah the technology is changing and what i find fascinating particularly with with technology is the the accuracy of of the of the plotting and the planning you know like you, you see people with um the all the little uh, dots on their on their bodies and on their faces to, to accurately capture now animators have been doing this for years in terms of animation or cgi etc you watch any good animated movie and you can see wow that's that that that's really realistic now what that i think that that idea of then translating that technology and having people as avatars i think that's going to be really fascinating in terms of will people actually trust that is is our brain just going to go? No, I just want to. I just want to see the real person. I think that's that's a question that is not going to go away. I'm, I'm not that long ago. I was working well, about to start working for a new company, and I got a, a, a rather nervous call. 
from the company that I was representing. And they said, you know that contract that we thought was signed? Yeah, there's been a bit of a hitch. And I said, what's the hitch? And I said, well, we just had the CEO on the phone. He's got the contract on his desk and he's refused to sign it until he sees the whites of your eyes. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> he's refused to sign it because he's not met you. He's, he's spoken to you over the phone, but he's not physically spent some time with you. And I was living just outside of London. So long story short, I get a train from where I live to London, train to Leeds, went and sat with him for half an hour. He asked me a couple of generic questions. I shook my hand and I got back in the train and came back to, back to London and the contract was in the post. But he just wanted, he, uh, as I said, he wants to see the whites of your eyes. And I still think our core brain programming wants that human connection. And you think about making an investment, whether that's offering somebody a job or giving them, you know, a big contract. I don't think that need for, you know, seeing the whites of their eyes is going to go away anytime soon. And any VR solution that comes up with that, I think that's going to be a major hurdle is our, our primitive brain still going to need that person-to-person -person contact. It'll probably be a couple of generations before it, it decreases, I would imagine. That definitely speaks uh, volumes on the level of trust for uh, technology in the metaverse. And I think, again, time for another show, but yeah. interesting. <laughs> Um, right, okie doke. Uh, it's time for Martin's Desert Island Tweets, the part of Mouthwash where uh, Martin's going to pick a tweet or two that's changed his mind or way of thinking in some way. So if you turn your attention to the nest, you'll be able to see a um, very handily, and I didn't um, prepare this, but um, he's uh, given me a tweet by Simon Lancaster, who's actually going to be on Mouthwash uh, later on in the series. Um, well, it says, it's not just what you say that counts, it's how you say it. Look out for these six rhetorical devices in the party conference speeches. Three bestless sentences, three repetitive sentences, three contrasts, metaphor, exaggerative statements, and rhyme. Martin, why did you pick this one? I picked this one because I've, I started studying the art of rhetoric, the tools and techniques about 10 years ago. And I find it absolutely fascinating that when you listen to the top speakers, it's like I was saying earlier, it's like knowing the rules. Now Simon, this is his speciality. And one of the things that absolutely blew me away about Simon is his ability to analyze at speed these tools and techniques. And he did a TED talk, I think it was in Verona, where he actually took topics from the audience live and then literally on stage did a speech integrating all the techniques that he talked about. And for me, that's real, that's real expertise where you can do it on the turn of a dime. And for me, it blew my mind because it was like, right, if you want to be seen as a real expert, you you literally have to demonstrate it. And I've I've used the line from Bruno Mars Uptown Funk now ever since that, where there's a line in, in Uptown Funk where he says, Don't brag about it, show me. So in terms of, of expertise, Simon absolutely uh, knocks that ball out of the park. He demonstrates his tools and techniques live. And I think there's something there for all of us. If we want to be seen as that expert, don't talk about it. Show me. Demonstrate your key skills. And uh, Simon was fantastic. So that's one of the reasons why uh, I, I picked that particular tweet, because he really did set a whole new bar for me personally and his, his expertise. And now from that, from seeing that, I, I do lots more live demos with stuff, which is not something that I'd, I'd done that much of before in my work. 
Very cool, very cool. Um, I've just put up the uh, tweet in the nest, and I can think if it's live. God, I need glasses. On the 17th, he's going to be on, so in a couple of weeks' time. So um, do check that out as well. Um, okay, I think that's a good sentiment to leave the conversation on. Um, thank you for being a part of Mouthwash, Martin. Any final thoughts or advice for the listeners when it comes to body language moving forward? Yeah, I think I'll come back to a point that I made earlier, that your body language is important doesn't matter the environment now it's always important whether you can be seen or not seen i tend to go with the the jeff bezos idea of your personal brand or your corporate brand it isn't what people uh, it isn't what you say about you it's what people say about you when you're no longer in the room so my litmus test and my, my final piece of advice would be how do you want to be described if you do a presentation whether it's face to face or on zoom once you've left the room, if I walked in and I said to that person, oh, describe Paul to me in three words, what would the three words that you'd want to be described as? And then when you're preparing for that scenario, video yourself doing the interaction, answering questions and go, does my behavior, the things that I do with my body language, will that help or hinder those people describing me in those three ways? And use the the, the tools that I've talked about, you know, body language decoder, body language communication mastery, then to go like, how do I close that gap? That what I call the perception gap between how I want to be perceived and how people are likely to perceive me based on my behavior. And think about how can I close that so that it's easier for people to describe me in the way that I want. Your body language is a huge way of being able to do that. Amazing. Thank you so much, Martin. I really appreciate it. I think we got through talking about body language on an audio show Doing really well. <laughs> Excellent. Very pleased. Right. I've got an amazing cohort of people this season on Mouthwash. Google Xs, security experts, entrepreneurs, designers, speech writers, best-selling authors, big tech, Silicon Valley startups to Walmart. If it's important about being a better person, business or planet, we're going to be talking about it. Up tomorrow is Ray Lu, tea expert from Grass People Tree. She's going to be talking about calm tea and her, frankly, uh, amazing journey she's had so far. Trust me when I say you don't want to miss what she has to pass on. Sounds like a text reminder for when mouthwash is going live would be handy. Say no more. We got the people at Norby to set us up with um, one. So if you head over to mouthwashshow.com, they'll sort you out. Just literally put in your telephone number and you'll never miss an episode again. Uh, trust me, it's all gold this season. Let me know what you think of mouthwash too. Use the hashtag mouthwashshow or drop me a DM. I always want to hear feedback from you guys. Once again, my thanks to the amazing Martin Brooks. Follow him on Twitter. Buy the cards. Go on the course. Uh, it might just change your life. Find out more at successthroughimpact.com. And the first 10 people to contact Martin will also get 25% off his body language communication mastery course. Very kind. Um, please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emoji for Martin as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thank you for joining. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every one of you. And thanks to Spaces Dashboard for helping good audio be found. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter Spaces. <laughs>